This morning, I want to share something with you that the Lord put on my heart. You know, I don't know what kind of, I don't know how the Lord speaks to you, but many times during the week, the Lord will speak to my heart about something. You know, last week I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do part two of whatever, you know, and then through the week, the Lord will drop something in my heart. Many times as I get quiet before the Lord, the Lord drops something in, in my heart today or this week, and I want to share what the Lord has unpacked in my life for you through the word of the Lord. Now, I'm going to put a couple, one, I'm going to start with a kind of a shocking statement. Don't judge me on the statement just yet. Don't prejudge it. Don't, don't, you know, because you, you, let me give it context. But here's, here's what I want right here. Watch this. I want this church to be a hindrance. You may have never heard a pastor say that. I want this church to be a hindrance. You say, really? Yeah, I want this church to be a hindrance, but, but, but you, you have to understand something. You have to understand the context that I'm talking and the angle that I'm going to talk about this. I want this church to be a hindrance. You say, well, what, how, in what way do you want this church to be a hindrance? Because, Pastor, we want to be a help. Yes, we want to be a help. We definitely want to be a help. And you know, we are a help. Amen. We are a help. But uh, here's how I want us to be a hindrance. Now, this is going to be a shocking statement to preach on Sunday morning. I don't know I preach on this on Sunday morning ever, but I'm going to do it this morning because it's what the Lord wants. But here's what I want to do. Look at this. I want, I want to make it hard for people to go to hell. All right. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we just going to be a social church that people come and go? No. I want to be a hindrance, and I want to be a roadblock. And I want to be a, 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 an impediment whose lives are lost, whose lives are broken, you know, and I want to be a hindrance to them to say, hey, you can turn in here and you can find life. We have the message of the gospel. We have the message of hope. We have the message of life. And I, I want us to be the kind of church, the Holy Spirit so flowing in us that we can arrest the attention now, I understand that everyone has a choice. Choose you this day whom you'll serve, Joshua told Joshua said. But I want to be the kind of church that hinders those that are going to hell, and we can turn them toward heaven. We can turn them toward, we can turn them toward Jesus. So what I want to do is a couple things this morning. First of all, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something that I don't know if I've ever done. I'm going to talk about hell this morning on Sunday. Can you believe that on Sunday morning? Not interested, and, and you'll know this, we're not interested in culture and trying to please the culture. We want to please the Lord. And we want to bring the uncompromising word of the Lord. So the first part of this message, I want to remind us about that place that no one of us, no, we don't want anyone. The one, listen, the one that has hurt you the most you don't want that person to go. You don't want your worst enemy to go to this place that we're going to talk about. But then the last part of this message, the second half of this message, I want to talk about some things that we can do as the family of God that will make it hard for people or harder for people to go to this place called hell. So, so think about this. As, you, as, we look in, as we look in the scripture and we think, really, we think about our world today first, one of the things that when we think about eternal destinies, one of the things that I begin to think about is 
how our world has ultra-categorized people. There's ultra-categorizations today of people. You know, the ins, the outs, the riches, the poors, the this and the that. And there's just this ultra-categorizations of people. But as we open the Word of God, there's really, if we boil it all down, there's just two categories of people. And they're the saved and the lost. There are the redeemed and the unredeemed. There are those that are in Christ, and there are those that are outside of Christ. And we see it over and over and over again in scriptures, how these two categories are matched side by side. And we see it in the words of Jesus over and over again. For instance, in one of the most famous Bible verses, John 3, 16, we see these two categories, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see them? There are those that perish, and there are those that have life everlasting. In that same chapter, in the 36th verse, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Not going to have, but we have it right now in earnest form. We have the down payment. The fullness comes when we stand in the presence of the Lord in eternity. But notice this. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you see that? There's two categories of people. Jesus told a story that illustrates, once again, what we see over and over in Scripture. These two categories. The saved and the lost. And it's in Luke 16. And he said there was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At, the gate, uh, at his gate there was a beggar laid, a laid named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came that the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. The, the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades. And that's the, that's the word this translation used. King James used hell. Other, it's, it's the place of the departed dead is what it is. It's life in eternity. And life in eternity will be one or two things. It'll be life abundantly with Christ, or to be life of torment without Christ. Now, I know that's not popular today, but there again, we're not trying to be popular. We're trying to be biblical. Amen. Verse 24 said, so he called him, he said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his tip of his finger in the, wa in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. And Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. There again, the two different categories, the two different destinations we have here. And besides all this, between us is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, and I don't know why you want to go there, but anyway, uh, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will, they will not come into this place of torment. Notice how, notice how in life, this man lived for luxury. He lived for self-lust. He lived for self. He lived a deeply profligate life. 
But now in eternity, he realized what's important, and that is the eternal soul of a human being. And now here's this very selfish man saying, having a burden for his loved ones. And then he said, verse 29, Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, no, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, that is the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. And I will say this, someone did raise from the dead. His name is Jesus and still many are unbelieving in the world. Do you see the two categories over and over again? Jesus once again said this in Matthew. Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go there, there it. Uh, any enter, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Destruction and life, we see this. Let's talk about this place called hell for a moment. And once again, as I've said, then I want to say what we can do to arrest the attention of those that are on the wrong road. First of all, we see the fact of hell. Hell is a fact. Uh, Years ago, we did an outreach called Hell House. You might have heard of that. This is probably 25 years ago. And on the front of our, I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, on the front of our church parking lot was a big uh, lawn, and we, we rented a tent, and, we, and basically Hell House is this, we, we built rooms inside the tent, and we would take groups from room to room to room, and basically what they were, they depicted scenes where people had died, some, some had died and gone to heaven, others had died and gone to hell. And we took people through. And then at the end of that little tour, we would, we would share the gospel with them and ask them if they wanted to receive Christ. And some did, some didn't. Uh, those that did, we prayed with them and led them to the Lord. It was an evangelistic outreach. Well, one day I was out there after it was all over the next week, and I was helping take down the tent and everything. And a lady drove up. And, man, she just gave me what for? I, don't know, I know you never had that happen to you. She just gave me what for. She was just telling, she was an elementary school teacher of the school down the street. And the kids in her class had seen Hell House. So you know how kids will do. They were going, Hell House. Hell House. She was going, Don't say that. Don't say hell. Hell House. You know, little kids, you know how they do. The more you tell them not to, they're going to do. She was so mad at me that we had had that sign, Hell House. And I, (laughs) I shouldn't have done this. I said, you probably go to church, don't you? She said, well, yes, I do go to church. And here's what I said. And I wasn't mean to her. I said, ma'am, I want to tell you something. We're, you know, however crude we've done this, our heart was to reach people that are on the wrong road. And here's what I said to her. I want to remind you about something. That if you're a Christian and you believe the word of God, hell is not a curse word. Hell is a noun. Hell is a place, and multitudes have gone there. And if we can just win a few, then we've done well. And at that, she said, goodbye. Jesus Jesus said this of the fact of hell. He said this, then he will say to those on the left, depart, this is the words of Christ, right? Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Hell, there's not only, hell is not only a fact, hell is a fearful place. In fact, the language of the Word of God is so strong, and it's written in such a way by the Holy Spirit to cause us to not want to get it. It will arrest our attention. That's what it's designed to do, to arrest our attention, to say, I never want to go to that place, and we certainly don't want to. What do we know about hell? We know that multitudes have gone there. Multitudes. Millions. I've heard that 156,000 people a day die. And I just wonder how many have gone to this place. The Bible says this in Psalms. The wicked go down into the realm of the dead. All the nations who forget God. Do you know the most important question of your entire life is this? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because John said this in the Revelation, anyone whose name is not found in the book of life will be thrown in the lake of fire. And the Bible said the lake of fire is the second death. It is the eternal death without God forever. And I can imagine at that judgment, which no child of God will ever be there, but can you imagine people? I went to church. I was a pastor. I was a deacon. I served on a committee. I served food and funerals. And there's all kind of a plethora of things that people will say. But all of that doesn't matter. Have you been born again? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Is your name truly written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have, you, have your sins been washed away? The greatest day of my life and the greatest day of our life is the day we met Christ. For many, many years, in fact, for 14 years of my life, I went to church every Sunday and many times Saturday night. I served as a little boy in that church. I was involved in that church. I went to that church's school, but all through those years, I was a lost little boy because I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus I didn't know Christ. My heart had not been converted. My life had not been changed because I had not been born again. But someone invited me to church, very much like this church. And I heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe by faith in the Son of God's death, burial, and resurrection today, I can tell you with all my heart, there, I don't know a lot of that, but I know this. There's a name in that book, and that's Joe Childs, that many years ago I received Christ. And I believe my name is there. Is your name there? I pray your name is there. But we think about multitudes being there. Anyone, anyone not found with their name in the Lamb's Book of Life will be thrown in the lake of fire. Think about how many of those anyones are. Those are the ones that we want to make it hard to go to hell. Hell is a place of separation from God. Here's what Thessalonians says. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice these words. These are scary words. Shut out from the presence of the Lord. Hear that. Shut out of the presence of the Lord from the, and from the glory of his might. There are many in our world today trying to get rid of any thought of God. Years ago, when I was a little guy, which don't look at me that way. It hadn't been that long ago. Don't judge me. <laughs> Some of the young folks are going, that was probably when the dinosaurs were walking, you know. But I remember when they prayed in school. I remember they used to read Bibles in school. I remember in a public high school, Mr. Crittenden, my, my, my fourth period math teacher, He's, when, when, when uh, 
first day of school, he was a he was a he was a very colorful personality, and a wonderful teacher. Enjoyed his class, but he said, "There's two things you don't do." He said, "You don't mess with my whole, it's public school now. You don't mess with my don't touch my holy Bible." And don't mess with something like papers on my desk or something like that. But that's what he said. Public school. Mr. Crittenden was a child of God. And he said, don't mess with the Bible. These are things, but now we want to get rid of God. Do you realize there will be a day that people get their desire if they refuse Christ, if they continue on the wrong road, if they continue to live their life out, the days of their life out in sin and rebellion, and they die without Christ, they will get what they desire, and that is an eternity shut out of God's love and mercy and grace and compassion. And he, but he's reaching for them right now, saying, Come and give your life to the Lord. Of, of this passage I've just read about being shut out from the presence of the Lord, one commentator quoted, Robert Thomas said this, Words cannot adequately express the misery of this condition. Shut out of the presence of the God who loves us, who sent His Son to die for us. Shut out of His peace and His mercy and His grace. And for eternity, to be without God is hard to think about. Hell is a place of darkness. Utter darkness. When it says darkness, outer dark, it's utter darkness. It's extreme loneliness. And I don't know that we can fully comprehend all this, but verses like this in Jude, it says, from for whom blackness and darkness, blackest darkness, has been reserved forever. So dark. I remember one time years ago as a young man, a little boy, actually, we went way, way down in Carlsbad Cavern. It's like 850 feet down into the ground, and then they turn the lights out. It is so dark that you can almost feel the darkness. One commentator said this, and I quote, Separation from the source of all light and love should be terrifying. It means an eternity being alone, away from humanity, away from all that is true and good and beautiful. Hell is the opposite of heaven, where the blessed experience, eternal communion, joy, love, and friendship, the flames of hell are nothing when confronted with the stark, this stark reality of just darkness. This darkness, this loneliness that is so lonely that you can never shake it for all eternity. We know that hell is also a place of torment. In some way, that the, even the rich man said, I'm in agony in this flame. Let him just, just a cool t- touch of water, just one little drop of water on my tongue to cool this flame. Over and over again, when, when it talks about the lost in eternity, uh, that we, we see these verses that Jesus uses, eternal torment, torment, agony. And we think about this rich man who for 2,000 years has been experiencing torment because he rejected God. Hell is also a place of memory and remorse. As, as we look in that just referencing, for, I can't read all, but just referencing the, the story again of the rich man, he was in eternity, he had died, he had left this life, and yet he had memory, 
And, and yet he had remorse because Abraham said to him, Son, remember in your lifetime. Remember in your lifetime. You receive good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Now he's comforted, but you are tormented. He had to remember this, to remember every time that he rejected God. Every time he did something and violated his conscience, his memory was with him in eternity. And then we think of this. The, the, hell is a place of corruption. Now, no, notice this. Sinful desires remain in eternity. The scripture says, and Peter, it talks about how when we're born again through, through these given exceeding great and precious promises, that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, through evil desires that people have. Psalm, the psalmist calls hell a pit of decay. Listen to it. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into a pit of decay. The bloodthirsty, the deceitful, will not live half their days. But as for me, I trust you. The lost in eternity will live in moral filth. If you can think of the most sinful, wicked, vile, violent, uh, most selfish people to ever live, those are the people that lost people will spend with all of eternity. I heard of a crime that was so heinous in the last two years that I cannot even speak about it in this congregation. It would shock you. It would turn your stomach. And it happened just north of here in Oklahoma of a heinous crime, so vile, so wicked to harm other people in the way this person did. It's just horrendous. And you think that's what hell is going to be like. Sin to the nth degree. Moral corruption to the nth degree. Now, also, hell is a place where people are very angry and very frustrated. And you remember this. Jesus said this, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Once again in Matthew, he says, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, Matthew 25. Hell is a place where people are angry at God. They're angry at their own poor choices. They're angry at people around them. I believe there are going to be people in eternity angry at preachers that did not preach the gospel clearly, that did not call them to repentance, that did not identify sin that needed to be turned from, that did not, perfect, that did not preach Christ and tell them they needed to be born again. They're going to be angry preachers that did not tell them the truth and warn them about this very horrible, horrible place. And I would, I would end this part by just saying hell is a place of futility. It's a place that you'll never get out of if you go there. It's not a place where some teach purgatory. Purgatory is not a doctrine found in Scripture. The Bible said the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Where the tree falls, there will it lie. There's no such thing as purgatory. We have this life, dear ones. We have this moment to receive Christ. We have why we have breath. We can choose Jesus. He's, he's said, whosoever will may come. But in eternity after death, there will be, you have made your choice. Your choice is a settled choice. Hell is a place when people go there. It's futile. They can never get out. It's eternal punishment. I can't even describe the incredible, eternal hopelessness. You know, we, th we live on hope, right? You can go through anything, any trial, any storm, if you know there's a light on the other side of the tunnel. 
you can see the light. And that's what Jesus does. He gives people hope no matter where they are, what they're in, how long they've been there, how sinful they've been. There's always hope. The gospel offers hope. But in eternity, when Christ has been rejected, there is a hopelessness that is so deep that it's hard to comprehend. My question to you is this. And this is what I want to talk about. I'm going to give some action steps. I feel like in this service today, there's a weightiness. We're thinking about a heavy subject here. This is a heavy subject. And I believe this is a heavy subject on the heart of the Holy Spirit this morning. He wants us to think about more than just paying bills and, and, and going on our recreational whatever we do in this life. He wants us to remember as a congregation this morning, we're going to leave this place. We're going to go sit down in restaurants with people who don't know the Lord. We work with people who don't know the Lord. We talk with people. We brush shoulders with them. And they don't know the Lord. So my question this morning is this. How do we make it hard or harder for people that are on that road to say, I want to get on your road. I want to make a U-turn. And I want to follow Jesus. Now, I want to emphasize once again, everyone must make their own choice. But what can we do to make a difference in our families and in our communities? There's some simple steps, and I'm going to just give them to you. And then I want to pray. We're getting ready for Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We should be inviting people. I'm going to share Christ. We're going to share the message of the gospel. Here's some things we can do. One is, we can love the lost and see through their sin to their soul. Many times, if we've been in church a long time, we forget we were just like that. We judge them for the same stuff we did, and we probably did more of it. Don't preach me down here. Don't shout me down. One of the things that we can make a difference is loving lost people Seeing through their sin, not excusing their sin, that's not what I said, but, but seeing them as a living soul, seeing them as valuable. Come on, church. It's, it, the, the most valuable thing is your soul. What, what will you give in exchange for your soul? You can gain everything in this world, all the money, all the accolades, all the power, position, but if you lose your soul, you're poor. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Sometimes, we, sometimes the church acts like an enemy of sinners. They're not our enemies. They're our, they're our harvest. Here's what it says. There was a young man that came to Jesus. Now listen. This young man had everything that young people in our day seek. He had money. He had youth and vitality. And he had power. He was the rich, young ruler. He had riches, he had youth and vitality, and he had a powerful position, but yet he wasn't happy because those things will never make you happy. Only Jesus can feel the God-sized vacuum in your soul. Only Jesus can wash our sins away. Only Jesus can give us real purpose in life. Let me read it quickly. I'll pick through it. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a young man ran up to him, fell on his knees, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
Well, we know Jesus is God, so Jesus was trying to get him to realize, you're talking with God. You're talking with God's son. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father, your mother, teacher. I've kept all these since I was a boy. Notice, notice what 21 says. He didn't look at him call him a hypocrite, though he was, because no one's kept all those commands but Christ, right? He noticed Jesus. Look at are you, are you looking on the screen? Jesus, verse 21, looked at him and loved him. He loved him. Here's a young man caught up in religion, lost, chasing his money, holding on to this idol of money, but he, he, he wasn't angry at him. He loved him. He loved this young man. Do we love lost people? Truly love them. He showed him he had to give away that and follow him. And he walked away. The man's face fell, walked away. But my point is this. We can make a great difference in the lives of people. If we see them, see through their sin, and to see their soul, that Jesus can save them. That's how Jesus looked at people. Come on, amen? Matthew, Matthew 9, 36 and 7 said this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he judged them. He berated them. No, it's not what it says. He had compassion on them. Say that with me. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless and sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are free. You know what I think he's saying? There's not enough people that will love people that are broken. The harvesters are few. There's a lot of lost people in our world today. There's not enough people to love them and pray for them and care for them. But let's be the kind of church that makes it hard for people to go to hell. They might not follow us, but they say, you know what? That's a lot of love. That's some loving people in that church right there. Aren't you glad someone loved you? If they loved you, let's don't hold our love back. Doesn't mean we have to excuse everything. Doesn't mean we have to accept everything. But we can care for them. All of, all of us were once lost. So when we start remembering our sins, not in a way to condemn ourselves, but I think it's probably a healthy exercise every now and then to remember where God brought us from. Oh, because you say, how do, I, how do I know? Because Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. But as for you, you, you is a plural here, were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live, in which you used to live this way. When you follow the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that now works in disobedience. You know the truth of it is? God is so gracious, he doesn't expose our sins because love covers a multitude of sin. When we came to Jesus, he didn't expose all our sins. He washed our sins, right? He covered them over and they're gone forever. But, but the truth of the matter is, if, if there was a video camera and we showed all the sins that we've ever committed, we'd be so embarrassed, wouldn't we? I'd be embarrassed, you'd be embarrassed. And in thinking about that, we need to look at the lost. We need to see them. We need to love them. We need to realize they have a soul that Jesus shed his blood for. One of the ways that we can, we can make it hard for people to go to hell is to love the lost, to see through their sin, and 
to see that they have a soul. And there's a place for them at God's table if they will say yes to Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Here's, here's something else that I think is a top shelf thing. And that is, this also has to do with love. And that is to be a loving church. To Hear this? Be a loving church. Everybody say be a loving church. Because I'm telling you, there's probably more people we can count on our hands and toes and every hands and toes in this place that have lost out with God because of some old silly church fuss. Yeah. There are going to be people lost in eternity that lost out with God because some selfish people just ripped things apart. So how do I know that we can make it hard for people to go to hell if we will be a loving church? Because of what Jesus said. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's, that's sacrificial love. Then here's the evangelistic part. This is, this is how we make it hard for people to go to hell. By this, everyone will know. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you realize that a loving church is so, people are so hungry for fellowship. People are so, why do you think somebody would go sit in a dark bar and drink all night and, and, and do all that just to talk to other miserable people? They want companionship. They want real relationship. They want to know somebody really cares for them. Where is that's a the bar is a substitute for a real genuine Holy Ghost church. By this, this world will know we can make it hard for people to go to hell if we love one another. They'll see that love. They'll say, "That's what I want. That's what I want. Somebody like that. I want. I want people like that." The opposite of love is, of course, selfishness. In the last days, selfishness will characterize society. People will love themselves. It says in the scriptures. And Paul said this of the church at Galatia. Galatians 5.14. I'm almost done. Love your neighbors yourself. But notice this, verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out that you don't destroy each other. Mm -mm. God's people can do that. When do they do that? Verse, next verse, walk in the Spirit, you'll not gratify the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. When we're not walking in the Spirit, we can act just like lost people sometimes. Just me up here, church. Amen? Just me. Just your pastor here talking today. I'm not a guest speaker. I've been here 20 years. I'm telling you the truth. I love you. I love us. Right? Here's, here's something else, and we're almost done. We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of prayer. That is, we can make it hard for the lost to go to hell by praying for them. Praying. Prayer somehow in God's sovereign purposes brings the activity of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said he, I think it was him that said he he could connect every lost person to someone praying for them. I don't know. I, I think that's what he said. Paul said this. 
Paul said this about Israel, his own people, the Jews who were lost and rejected Jesus. He said in Romans 10, 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. When we start praying for our lost loved one, praying for those people that we know that God puts on our heart that are without God, one of the things it does, it deepens your burden for them. You begin to feel what the Holy Spirit feels for them. Uh, Romans talks about groaning, the Holy Spirit groaning within us with groans which cannot be uttered. That's that burden Holy Spirit carries. Praying for the lost also gets us out of our own selfishness. I mean, Christian people can pray for the craziest stuff. I mean, literally, the Lord does not care if you have a Mercedes Benz. If you have one, more power to you. He don't care about that stuff. Are you with me now? People pray for, well, I claim this and claim that. And the Lord's looking at you, just probably scratching his head, going, I, I'm not even going to answer that. That's just so dumb. I know a preacher that has a worldwide ministry, doesn't even own a car, he has a bike. I'm not against stuff, but I'm just telling you. But when you and I start praying for that lost loved one or that lost person that's on drugs, I mean, right now, fentanyl is just crazy across our nation. A little beautiful 24-year-old girl smoked something. I don't know if you smoke it or drink it. I'm not familiar with it, but I just read about it. Lost her life. I think it's, isn't it what Michael Jackson died from? Was it fentanyl? And, and, and it's so strong that you literally could almost operate on someone when they take it. You literally could operate on someone because it just puts them out. And they just stop breathing. Why don't we pray for that one that has an alcohol issue? You know, churches have gotten into a lot of social drinking. We don't preach that here, folks. I had a, one of my dear friends drink himself to death. It's a, it's a bad deal. Don't ever, don't ever get down that road. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. It's not, and it's not about if I can drink one drink and not go to hell. It's not about that. It's that I've got children watching me. My children never seen me take a drink, ever. And you know what? My, my kids, my girls that never took a drop don't want to drop. Why? Because we set the example. It's not about like one drink. and You know, just stop all that silliness. We have a world that's watching us. Let's be Nazarites. Let's get close to God. Let's not try to ride the fence so that our kids... See, what we do in moderation, our kids are doing excess. You drink two beers, they'll drink ten beers. They'll binge. I want my kids to follow God. I want my grandkids to follow God. My, my grandboy was in the altar the other night. And he was praying and crying out to God. I have to believe at 